0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Books and Sociology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Rituparna, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Ulbe Bosma. Ulbe Botsma is a senior researcher at the International Institute of Social History and professor of International Comparative Social History at the Vrijay University, Amsterdam. Pardon my pronunciation. He was a visiting professor at the Colle de Oste Etudes in Sciences Sociales in Paris and a fellow at the Netherlands Institute of Advanced Studies. His main fields of interest are the histories of labour, international labour migration and commodity frontiers. In today's conversation, we are going to talk about his new and very exciting book, The World of Sugar, How the Sweet Stuff Transformed Our Politics, Health and Environment Over 2000 Years, which has been recently published in 2023 by the Harvard University Press. Ulbe, I welcome you to this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today on New Books Network.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Right. So, let me begin by asking you your main motivation behind writing this book. Could you talk a little bit about the context?
0: Yes. Um, Of course, uh, many publications have appeared on on sugar, but they're overwhelmingly on the uh, Atlantic realm, on the Caribbean islands, on slave plantations and so forth. I started doing my research on, on, Java, Indonesia, and Java was the second largest sugar exporter after Cuba at the turn of the 20th century. I also did work on India and I see that when, when people talk about the global history of sugar, they entirely tend to ignore the immense amounts of sugar that were produced in India, in China, in Indonesia, Queensland, Australia, the Philippines. So I thought it was time to write a truly global history and I thought that it was well equipped to do that because my background in Asian uh, history. So the reviewers of my book have already said that this is a truly global history. And I think that they are right for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, I take into account that Asia before 1870 was the largest sugar producer in the world. So most of the world's sugar came from, from Asia. I'm talking about these sugar plantations and sugar belts and peasant sugar in India and in China, extensively in my book, Um, I'm talking about industrial cane sugar, but also about peasant sugar, sugar that was part of the agricultural cycle in India or China or in Latin America. I talk about beet sugar in Europe and I also talk about how these different realms of sugar production interacted with each other. So I think that that's, that makes it a truly, truly global um, uh, history of, of sugar. And of course it will stir further debates because I know some colleagues are already working on other fields of sugar in Asia. So I hope that we can redress the bias of of t- thinking that sugar is predominantly a, an Atlantic affair.
1: Right. Uh, and that's very interesting. So. Could we also say that the history of sugar is the history of capitalism?
0: Yeah, if we define capitalism as uh, trade and production by private uh, persons, not by government, private persons for a profit, uh, then I can say that sugar has been very uh, pivotal even in the emergence of, of global capitalism. So we need to say, take one step back about. thousand years ago, uh, what people did was mostly within their own household. They had their own yards. They produced their own food. Uh, Perhaps they bought it within their own village economy, but most of what the people consumed was made by themselves and there was no money involved. Now, now today we see that most of what we do is bought on the market and many of these many of these products are from, from far away. So there's a tremendous change in our consumption patterns over the past 700 years, and sugar has been, uh, has played a very important role in this. And sugar was one of the first items that was traded over longer distances in significant quantities. Of course, we had spices that were traded over long distances, but that was just in very small quantities. Sugar in the 12th, 13th century was already traded in quite significant quantities, even though of course it was not in volumes as it is today. So, um, that is about how capitalism emerged. It's also a telling story about how capitalism functions. Uh, our current overconsumption of sugar is uh, how capitalism functions, how market forces function, the way in which sugar, uh, creates social, the, um, irresponsible conditions, uh, human oppression. Um, but also the way in which sugar has left the cost of, of environmental destruction, the communities we had this week these horrendous news about the fires in the in hawaii and they were on abandoned sugar plantations that were grown or were left fallow, uh, follow after the um the the uh the sugar industry in hawaii disappeared and uh, this was an important cause in the devastating consequences of these fires on in hawaii so the environmental and social consequences of sugar production um, are also a result of how capitalism works. So the, the profits are for private persons, but uh, the, the the communities, the society at large, have to foot the bills of the social and ecological consequences.
1: Right. So could you talk a little bit about how and where did this sugar capitalism begin? Uh, if you could also reference to the Indian and the Chinese cases.
0: Yes, I think that uh, when we talk about global capitalism, we do that since uh, well, the studies by by Wallerstein, uh or Karl Marx even uh, is usually um, considered to be a result of uh, of European uh, developments. Uh, Columbus crossed the Atlantic and then brought capitalism to to the Americas. Et cetera, et cetera. So the idea that capitalism only started with European colonial expansion, and I think that is wrong. Um, it starts earlier, and it starts in India, in China, in Egypt, and in Persia, and precisely because it was so closely linked to the emergence of international sugar trade. So to take one step back, um, two thousand years ago, um, in, in in Bengal, in India uh, peasants were, um, having some plots of cane, uh, cut the cane, boiled it and have some chunks of raw sugar with them, which they uh, ate in the winter time. That's how the raw sugar becomes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, in, uh, five, 600 after Christ, people discovered how they could make from cane juice, a crystalline, gritty, uh, sugar. Um, and then in the 12th, 13th century, when Marco Poro and Dima Batuta, these great explorers, came to India and China, they saw already huge cane fields, and these cane fields were geared to international trade. So, in the 12th, 13th century, we see already that um, urban refiners of sugar come to the countryside, um, it pay advances to peasants to buy their cane. Uh, they, we find this, this juice that's made still in the, in the countryside. They paid the, the farms for that. The farmers might have people, uh, on wage labor. Uh, this is where we really see the beginnings of capitalism and even capitalism that is not confined to a local market, but is already, um, crossing uh, the seas and crossing the mountains into, well, let's say central Asia, the crossing seas from uh, from India to the Arab Peninsula and China to along the China coast, and to Southeast Asia. So this is really an important point, moment in the start of global capitalism.
1: Right. So what is this historical trajectory in which sugar becomes the global south's most valuable export commodity?
0: Yeah. And not just of, of the global south, but in the 19th century, uh, European beet sugar industry was also widely exported. Uh, also across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, the United States. Um, In the 19th century, sugar was what oil would become in the 20th century, internationally the most traded commodity. But let's just go one step back in the 17th and 18th uh, century when sugar was so much traded within Asia and secondly, of course, when uh, the Atlantic plantation complex emerged. At that time, sugar was already very important uh, commodity um, in the mid 17th century. Sugar was the most uh, traded commodity in Amsterdam. That Amsterdam was at that time the main port of uh, Europe. Amsterdam in fact actually was what uh, New York is uh, is today. There's all, all are indications of the importance of, of sugar in development of the uh, global uh, trade. Now in the night, we see already in the 17th and 18th century also, that sugar is entering uh, the uh, recipes coming into the household, not yet as a, as a daily commodity, but as a kind of luxury, but the sugar consumption is, is spreading in the 17th and 18th century, not just in Europe, but also in, in China, for example, or in the Ottoman empire in the Middle East. In the 90th century, we see rapid urbanization and industrialization in, in the Western world. And uh, that sugar is reaching then the working classes um, and um, becoming a daily consumption issue for the uh, uh, working classes, thanks to the fact also that sugar is becoming rapidly, uh, rapidly becomes cheaper and cheaper over the course of the 19th century.
1: Right. Also, uh, how was the price of sugar lowered? How did it become an ordinary item from a luxury one? Yeah.
0: As I said, of course, a very important factor was the lowering of the sugar prices. So I think sugar prices were reduced by about 80% over the course of the 19th uh, century. How did it come about? Well, I think one of the reasons was that um, there were higher yields of uh, of, of sugar per per acre. That's because of new plant varieties, because of the application of fertilizer. the introduction of the of the sugar beet sugar in uh, in Europe, uh, which became very uh, soon a very important um, industry in Europe. Um, the fact that sugar could become uh, so cheap was also due to uh, the continuation of of slavery in Cuba, in um, in Brazil, and in the southern states of the of the United States, and the fact that. Um, Colonial governments allowed a system of contract labor, uh, which was in fact forced labor, uh, allowing um, hundreds of thousands of contract laborers coming from India, from China, later on from Japan and from the Philippines to the cane fields where people worked under forced conditions and against very, very low wages. Uh, Technology is is also a factor, but less important because we need to realize that sugar uh, production that the harvesting of of the beets in the 19th century was a very um, labor-intensive activity. It, the harvest had to be done manually. So what we see is cheap sugar at the same time and, and, and hundreds of thousands of people working in the fields.
1: Interesting, uh, because I also want to ask about the adverse impact of the overproduction and overconsumption of sugar on health.
0: Yeah, well, sugar consumption and overconsumption is, is something which is quite recent. Um, in in the eighteen fifties, eighteen sixties, obesity because of sugar overconsumption was a problem, perhaps for some people of the higher middle classes in England, but most of the people in the world did not suffer from obesity. So this has has emerged in, in the twentieth century, and. Um, What we see now today is that um, the World Health Organization has has issued a guideline of uh, 20 kilos per capita per year as still a responsible, um, health-wise responsible intake of uh, sugar. Um, In many European uh, countries, but also other countries in the world, um, the sugar intake per capita is hovering between 30 and 40 kilograms per year. And in the United States, it's even about 60 kilograms if we include the high-fructose corn syrup. Um, so what we see is, is in fact, a wave of obesity uh, throughout uh, the world, and um, we also facing diabetes to a catastrophe as a consequence. And the World Health Organization has already declared um, diabetes to a type two a pandemic in uh, 1999. That was not for nothing.
1: Right. you also mentioned about uh, the cost of production of cheap sugar. So what is the relationship between the producers and the workers in this production of sugar? Is there any connection uh, historically to war and slavery?
0: Yeah, that connection was, of course, particularly uh, important in the Atlantic uh, realm. Uh, So the 16th and 17th century when sugar production started, European nations were at war with each other, tried to conquer each other's uh, sugar uh, plantation islands. So there was a lot of violence within the Caribbean uh, region. And of course, slavery itself was a um, crime against humanity um, and was attended with a lot of uh, violence, first of all, uh, through the uh, processes of, of... Kidnapping and transportation of people from Africa to the New World, and we need to realize that that almost two thirds of all people who survived the, the transport to, the, to to the Americas uh, ended up at the sugar plantations. So it is one big story uh, of of plantation slavery, of of extreme violence and, and cruelty. Uh, we're really black page in women's history. Um did not stop there in 19th century, as I said, we have the the the, the regime of contract. labour people were uh, hired, uh, signed a contract, but when they arrived at the plantations were not free to leave, they had to serve their, their term at the plantations. And also uh, the coerced uh, conditions in which people had to work. Uh, allowed uh, the planters to conduct all kinds of of violent acts against their work. So the the violence did not stop with the end of of slavery. And still today, when we look at Brazil or uh, the Western state of of India, Maharashtra, or the Dominican Republic, we still see many acts of, of cruelty and exploitation. Uh, perpetrated against the cane uh, work. So the there, whole story of sugar is filled with miserable conditions of workers.
1: Do you think that the arrival of technology, particularly that of the steam engine, changed the course of history for sugar?
0: It did not change much in the conditions of the workers, as explained, because the uh, conditions in the fields remained the same because much of the, well, all, practically all the work in the fields had to be done manually. Cane cutting or the, the harvesting of the beet was uh, manual work well into the 20th the century. But it has changed the character of the sugar industry itself. Before um, the 19th century, even the plantations, they were, um, were highly organized the units of uh, production, but they were pre-industrial and they were relatively small with two 300 people. Now, through the introduction of steam and steel in the whole uh, process, which happened quite early on in the case of sugar, and 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 we see that, for example, the first railways in Cuba were already there in 1837. So in that respect, the sugar um, belts were pretty precocious in, in history in terms of industrialization, but the industrialization was also problematic because it was so extremely expensive and not all planters could afford to buy this equipment. So what happened was that the wealthiest and most strongest planters, they bought the equipment, or as was the case in France or in the Netherlands, that the governments of these nations started to uh to subsidize the introduction of uh these um these machines. And all in all, what we see over the 19th century is a tremendous um increase in scale. So where we had small uh, plantation with two or 300 people in, in the late 18th century, we have huge plantations with 10, thousands of acres of, of cane land and a huge central factory in the middle of it, uh, drawing its cane from a wide, uh, vicinity. So what we see is immense, uh, increase in scale and an increase in scale also in the refinery sector, which is also driven by, uh, steam and steel. And what we see in the 19th century is the emergence of big Sugar cartels, big sugar conglomerates, uh, highly capitalized sugar uh, conglomerates. And these are still existing uh, today. So, in that respect, uh, the technology revolutionized uh, sugar production and it had particularly political repercussions because of the concentration of power within these uh, factories and refineries.
1: Right. Uh, I also have a different sort of a question. Uh, did sugar face any kind of religious condemnation, considering that it was a newer, you know, commodity?
0: Yeah, it's interesting that um, sugar was seen as a kind of indulgence. I mean, sweetness is is nice, and and particularly the Catholic Church saw it as an indulgence. But in, interestingly enough, um, in in uh, for certain Protestant denominations, um, and let's not forget Islam uh, sugar became a kind of substitute for alcohol. So where the Southern in indigenous denominations forbade alcohol, you see that, um, that sugar was quite accepted. Um, the Quakers, for example, is also a Protestant denomination, um, rejected alcohol as, as intoxicating, um, and, and blurring the mind. Uh, but Quaker, uh, were, um, uh, in, in the forefront of of making sweets and pastries, chocolate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and really consumed. Uh, we had also in England, for example, the uh, teetotal teetotalers movement uh, trying to 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 um, combat alcoholism among uh, proletarians, uh, and they held parties. These teetotalers, um, and at these parties, there were many uh, sweet cakes and pastries. Uh, Available, so we see a kind of substitution of uh, of sugar uh, for uh, for alcohol, Um, and that's that's I think quite interesting, important uh, uh, facet of the history of sugar.
1: Right, right. So, lastly, could you talk about the history of sugar in America?
0: Yeah, that's also an interesting uh, story because um, the United States. At the course of the 19th century, by the end of the 19th century, we're far the largest single sugar market in the world. Um, and I talked a bit about the concentration of uh, the sugar industry over the course of the 19th century. And the United States is a key example of that. Um, we know the stories about the robber barons, the robber capitalism uh, at the gilded age in the United States at the end of the 19th century. Um, but, um, that was the time of Rockefeller, etc. uh, but sugar had its own, uh, rubber barons and, um, by the end of the 19th century, the East Coast refiners, so the refiners in, in New York and Boston, etc., uh, decided to form a cartel and, uh, that was because sugar prices were going down. Uh, the refiners saw their margins of profits, uh, declining. Um, and they decided to form a cartel, uh, to operate jointly against their, uh, suppliers of all sugar and to raise their sugar prices of the consumers, So then that, that way they were able to, uh, raise, um, the margins of, of, profits. Um, so we have a kind of high cap, capitalized capitalism, sugar capitalism in the United States from the late 19th century onwards. And uh, they became even more powerful because it was linked up with the emerging sugar beet industry in the United States, also very powerful. And there's another interesting feature. um, The United States in 1898 um, waged a war against Spain. And the consequence of this war was that Cuba and the Philippines and Puerto Rico became dependencies of the United States, all three were uh, sugar producing Countries. In addition, in 1898, um, Hawaii became annexed by the United States. So all of a sudden, United States that had always been an importer of sugar became practically self-sufficient in uh, sugar and uh, established uh, a, a very powerful sugar conglomerate with a lot of political clout. And this also led to a system in the United States. Of, of tariffs, tariff walls, and so-called uh, sugar uh, program, which allowed some client states to import, uh, export sugar to the United States, but was, was mainly uh, designed to protect uh, American sugar producers. Now, uh, this was very detrimental to other sugar producers in the world because uh, protection uh, means that within the country where the sugar is protected, prices are. Um, higher than the world market, but outside the protective walls, prices will go down because uh, there's some demand falling away. And it became even worse in the 1980s when uh, in the United States, the beverage industries, Coca-Cola and other beverage industries um, introduced uh, high-fructose corn syrup as ingredient of their beverages and high-fructose corn syrup. Is not made of cane or beet, but is made of corn, and um, this sweetness stuff uh, became dominant in in beverage industry, which had a tremendously uh, a negative effect on the sugar prices worldwide. Sugar industry in the United States is extremely powerful, and it's also very powerful in uh, in Europe, and uh, because they are so powerful. They will fight, they will successfully fight attempts by governments to uh, reduce, to to follow the guidelines of the world's uh, health organization, so to speak, to reduce the uh, sugar intake to uh, levels that are less unhealthy than they are now. So this is uh, our present sugar consumption and the United States is an excellent example of that. Our present sugar consumption is very much the result how the sugar economy is organized and how uh, sugar uh, companies, sugar conglomerates actually uh, hold uh, the um, the political scene uh, in their role. Um, so it is not that sugar is the result, our sugar consumption is the result because of our liking of sugar, yes, sure, we do like sugar, but this also very much a result of how capitalism works, and this capitalism works through a collision. Of, uh, of stays in the enterprise.
1: Right. So, uh, thank you so much, Ube, for taking your time to discuss your very fascinating work and new book with us. I hope that our listeners find the podcast interesting and pick up a copy of the book and get to reading it. Thank you so much once again for joining me today.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you very so much.